It's time to breathe easier this allergy season with Breathe Right Nasal Strips. With instant nasal congestion relief for up to 12 hours, you can spend your time on your terms, not on your noses. Stuffy nose from outdoor allergens? No problem. We got you. Allergy season just turned into stripping season. Instant relief from nasal congestion anytime, anywhere. Need more convincing? Click the banner below and get a free sample. Breathe right. Get your strip on. Use as directed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Kelly Richardson Lawson. I'm a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. I started the Sunrise Project after our beautiful teenage son attempted to take his own life. Truth is, I'm tired. My husband and I felt despair, isolation, and immeasurable pain. I knew in my heart we needed a place for Black parents to share their struggles, find mutual support, and help our beloved children who struggle with mental wellness, addiction, or both. Each weekly podcast features an expert who shares their knowledge and takes questions from parents and children. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. The Sunrise Project allows Black families, like ours, to find comfort in knowing that we are not alone. While the purpose of the Sunrise Project is to share, support, and uplift, this conversation is not a substitute for medical advice. Finding the right healthcare professional for your family's specific needs is crucial. If you do not feel seen or heard, you should speak to more than one professional to find the right fit. Good morning, everybody, and welcome again to our weekly Sunrise Project call, and we are so happy that you're here with us. Um, as always, we're coming together to find a moment of solace and peace and to learn from our incredible expert and from one another in a safe space that's filled with love, compassion, and a desire to heal, starting mostly with ourselves um, and our children and our families. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the willingness to know the difference. Today, we have back a very special guest, Dr. Marie Smith-East. She is a board-certified psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner and nurse scientist. Her research focuses on geographic access to healthcare, particularly for individuals with schizophrenia spectrum disorders. In addition to running her own telemedicine practice, she has extensive experience working in community mental health settings. She also has experience as a nursing clinical instructor and facilitator, contributing to curriculum and policy development. Dr. Smith East is an alumna of the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration Minority Fellowship Program with the American Nurses Association. She has also presented for the National Institute of Mental Health on the next big thing in mental health services research and has shared her expertise for what nurses need to know regarding, quote, teen vaping on the rise, end quote, for the American Psychiatric Nurses Association. 
And today she is sharing her very precious time with us, calling in from Florida uh, to help us navigate something that many of us have actually dealt with, which is if and when to send our son or our daughter um, to a, uh, an institution, whether it's an inpatient institution, a partial hospitalization program, an intensive outpatient program. There are tons of options, uh, you know, wilderness programs, lots of options out there, but it's so hard for us to figure out if it's right, when it's right, how to do it, and what to do if one ends up there, uh, or uh, if we decide to do that, what happens afterwards? And so Dr. Smith East is gonna help us navigate all of that this morning. And uh, we'll make sure we have plenty of time for questions and conversations. So Dr. Smith East, thank you again for being here. So appreciate you. Uh, we know how busy you are. Really, really, really appreciate you being here this morning. I'll turn it over to you. Well, thank you so much for that beautiful, wonderful um, introduction. And thank you so much for having me uh, back here this morning. Hopefully our talk this morning just brings more hope and more knowledge and um, more options that you might not have thought of before in regards to getting treatment. And so um, in honor of National Treatment Disorders Week, um, to be clear, I wanted to just provide a definition of what we're really gonna be looking at here because there's so many different treatment um, facilities and even more so, we can be looking at mental health um, treatment facilities. You can also be looking at substance use disorders um, facilities. And then you can also be looking at facilities that um, have comorbid. So it does all of the above. And so um, the last time that I was here, I provided um, a reference for where you can go to at least start the process of where you can find treatment um, based on where you live. I know that the COVID-19 pandemic has also been an interesting um, time for mental health treatment and substance use disorders treatment, and even more so right now where um, the, the emergency, the national emergency is coming down to an end. Um, and in many states, especially here in Florida, certain policies that were waived before in terms of um, getting patients to treatment um, are no longer um, waived. And so even as clinicians, we have to be aware of that for you know, patients that we might have treated out of state and that before we were allowed to do so if you didn't have a license and then now not so much because of the, the emergency being lifted. So then, I mean, we, we, I can go on a whole tangent because I know that we have the variants coming out now too. So only time will tell um, in terms of long-term treatment, but I just wanted to start, start off with that there is hope. There is hope. And I'm saying this because it can seem so daunting. If you have never heard of a treatment center before um, or even known of, okay, well, I know that I would like to get help, whether it's for myself, whether it be for a loved one, it can seem so daunting because you don't know what to expect. What, what does the team even look like? And so if you have already received treatment, say if you were involuntarily hospitalized or a family or a loved one was involuntarily hospitalized and were put or voluntarily hospitalized into a mental health facility, say as such as like a hospital, um, you may have some familiarity with um, what to expect in terms of the treatment team. It's time to breathe easier this allergy season with Breathe Right Nasal Strips. With instant nasal congestion relief for up to 12 hours, you can spend your time on your terms. 
not on your noses. Stuffy nose from outdoor allergens? No problem. We got you. Allergy season just turned into stripping season. Instant relief from nasal congestion anytime, anywhere. Need more convincing? Click the banner below and get a free sample. Breathe right. Get your strip on. Use as directed. So what I want to start off with is getting to know your treatment team. What does that consist of? So whether you are in, in the hospital, uh, whether you were there voluntarily or involuntarily, or if you were in the outpatient environment, you need to get to make sure that you know your treatment team. And what do I, what do I mean by that? Depending on where you're getting your treatment, there's community mental health facilities. So those are usually um, government-run um, programs that so are getting a lot of funding and may have a lot of support in many other different ways. And usually the treatment team will have either the psychiatric clinician that could be a psychiatrist, it could be a psychiatric nurse practitioner, you have that. And then we usually have a case manager that is on our team. And um, for one of the community mental health facilities that I've worked for, even just here in Florida, they even have a life skills coach. So it's great that you have that option. And even just thinking about the differences between like a case manager and a life skills coach and the fact that they even offer that in a community mental health setting is amazing because if you don't even have insurance, you have those opportunities to be exposed to those different resources. Why does this matter? How can you possibly treat a patient that has mental illness or a patient that has substance use disorder if you don't look at them holistically? Meaning that if we're saying, okay, you need to take a certain medication um, because we think you're, present you're presenting with these symptoms, these are the medications, how can you possibly tell a patient that they need to take medication such as Latuda that requires 350 calories to work if they don't have any food to eat or if they don't have any stable housing? So there's so many different um, things that you have to consider. On top of that, um, with the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of patients are having even more issues in terms of having access to certain things than they even did before. And access has always been an issue. So if even when we take a talk about, okay, let's do telemedicine, do people even have access to internet? Do they have access to being able to be on that call and having stable internet connections. So in this particular instance, it's important to get to know your treatment team because your case managers, your life skills coaches can help assist with some of those things that you might not have considered before. Then of course, we always talk about the therapist. We usually have a therapist or a counselor. Usually the therapist is the one that is has some type of certification. A counselor may or may not have um, they're a certification to provide counseling and therapy, but they may have that experience um, to provide services to yourself or to a family or loved one. So why I'm mentioning this is starting off with a treatment team, they can help guide you, or if you're aware of that there are treatment teams that exist, it can start the process of where do I go from here? So once we start that and you're saying, okay, well, now I think we need to do a long-term residential treatment. And the residential treatment, as I mentioned, could be for mental health or it could be for substance use disorders. Where do I go now? What do I do? How will I fund? How do I pay for such services? Now, depending on where you live, 
And depending on a where or what type of program, there's so many different programs. There's even, I want to say, re- not religious or spiritually based um, programs that will even offer scholarships or offer discounts or offer payment plans that will allow the person that is seeking any type of residential treatment to get that. And when I say residential treatment, that means that you're actually going to be staying at that facility for an extended period of time, whether it to be to get long-term recovery for um, a substance use disorder or just long-term recovery for whatever the mood disorder or mental illness it, um, possibly is. There are different types too. So that's what I'm, the extent of it is really like the residential treatment. But if you have other opportunities, such as they have a partial hospitalization program and they have intensive outpatient programs. So they usually abbreviate that as a PHP program or an IOP program. Um, If you've ever been in the hospital, a lot of times they will already have that kind of set up. Um, But again, it can be daunting because you're like, what is that? What is a partial hospitalization program? What's an intensive outpatient program? Um, And really it just allows um, the patient or the loved one to be able to go a certain amount of days a week, a certain amount of sessions per week to gather with other individuals that may have the same or similar issues in regards to mental illness or in regards to substance use disorders. And there's so many different treatments. So for example, I worked at a program that uh, dealt with patients that had eating disorders and they had a partial hospitalization program for young children, um, adolescents um, that had eating disorders, but also depression or also had bipolar disorder. And then um, even young adults who had co-occurring substance use, whether that be alcohol, heroin, cocaine, opioids, um, we're, we're still in the middle of an opioid um, pandemic. Um, crisis as well. So there's just so many different terminologies. So I don't want to get too confusing with that. But again, step one would be to get to know the treatment team that you are working with. And if you're, if there is no treatment team, if you're not sure if there's a treatment team, whatever the services that you are seeking, you always want to take it a step further and ask those questions. Don't be afraid to ask those questions because it's not um, easy to go into an environment that you don't really know what to expect. Um, And I know even for patients that are going into the hospital, if it's their first time going into an inpatient hospital, it can be very scary because you're away from your family and you don't know what to expect. You're like, oh, am I on a crazy unit? Like, what are are all the other patients that are going to be there? And there's just so many different programs, so many different hospitals available. So that's the beauty of being able to go and ask questions and um, do your research and trying to find out, you know, more looking at reviews um, and trying to find out more about whatever the facility is that your patient or loved one um, could possibly be in. And I also wanted to point out, even though I'm talking about mental illness and substance use disorders, there's also um, treatment centers for non-substance addictions, um, such as gambling as well. So there's such a gamut um, of places that are available. The other thing that I wanted to talk about, once you get to know your treatment team, coming up with a goal, trying to understand okay, well, if I'm going to be going in, because it always helps to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. So if I'm going into a treatment center and I'm speaking with the treatment team, 
okay, so what would my normal day look like? Am I going to be part of groups? Am I not going to be part of groups? What are the groups that are, are available when I am in that, in that treatment program? Um, am I going to be able to have one-on-one -on -one therapy? What is the cost? How much is it going to cost per day? Um, how long do you typically on average, because a lot of times they're not able to tell you specifically, this is how long you're going to be. They usually say, well, how long ever it takes for, you know, the patient to feel that they are getting better. So asking those questions, what about meals? If there are meals going to be provided? And if not, what, what, are, what other things do I need to know? And then once you actually go through a treatment program, one of the biggest, biggest debates um, currently going on in in psych right now is just, a, it's called like a harm, the harm reduction debate. So once I go through all of this treatment and it's in a controlled environment and I'm feeling great, I'm feeling better and I get out, now what, you know, do I, am I going to be on the same medications? Um, am I going to be put on an injection? Am I going to continue groups? What is the overall plan when I come out? And again, that is one of the benefits of getting to really know your treatment team, because they are, that's part of their job is to help you navigate. Well, what did you see? What have you seen has been successful among the patients that you have treated? What are those success stories? And another, um, I want to say tidbit that is helpful is they have peer programs as well, peer support programs. Um, and I've had a lot of patients not only graduate from being in a long-term um, facility or you know, program, they also will work as a peer support, get training as a peer support specialist. So they'll actually get paid to help other people on their journey as well. Um, but then there's also that patient that can actually benefit from having a peer support. So thinking of those different things, if, if, if this is all new to you and you're like, well, well, I've never heard of this before, this is something that you can also consider because as I mentioned um, from the beginning that there is always hope. So you always want to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions because it, it, it should be a comprehensive, holistic view on how to approach care, whether it be mental illness or whether it be substance use disorders. And I also wanted to mention too that a lot of times, especially among people of color, um, it's it's also a matter of not considering that people don't, we, we know that we're going through um, talks now of like the issues related to systemic racism, right? But it's also helpful to understand that if we look at our history, especially in terms of community mental health treatment, it's not the best, it's not, not the best, it's still getting better just in terms of uh, as a whole and as our country of what they used to do um, in terms of like, and, and why mental illness gets such a stigma as it is, is because, you know, back in the day um, and not very long ago, um, before the government decided to deinstitutionalize the inpatient environment or, or uh, patients that were hospitalized before the government decided to deinstitutionalize, which meant that they wanted to put them in least restrictive environments. This is what birthed the partial hospitalization programs. This is what birthed the intensive outpatient programs. It's always important to remember that there's some amount of hesitancy in general um, in terms of seeking treatment because you don't wanna feel like I'm gonna be treated unfairly or I have, there's hesitancy in terms of like, well, do you really have my best interest at heart? And so that's why I say when you're asking the questions, it's not necessarily, well, I, yeah, I'm asking questions for myself, but you also wanna ask, well, 
for the patients that have successfully completed your program, what were the key things that they said? Can I speak with some of the people that may have graduated? And that's why I say there's a, a key thing too, even with the peer support, because especially with children and adolescents, if they are around their peers, their peers matter to them, right? They want to be fitting in. They want to, if they can be around those that have been there, done that, you know, um, it can be helpful in getting them for towards that long um, term recovery. And a lot of times we also will use um, what's called motivational interviewing, even within as a psychiatric clinician to try to help young adults, children, adolescents, even just adults as well, to try to make changes for themselves because we can always want the change for them. And if they don't want the change, then it makes it that much more difficult to have sustainable long-term treatment. So it's important to have a goal. So not only when they are in receiving treatment, but also once they get out of treatment, what is the plan? What is the goal um, that you have in mind? And I always tell my patients too that there's, there's a goal in terms of like clinical recovery, right? So whether they're recovering from substance use or recovering from, you know, maybe they had a really um, bad um, psychosis episode, um, there's that clinical recovery. And then there's also just a personal recovery as well, because we can always treat the symptoms, right? And objectively, we can say, okay, they're less depressed or they're not using substances, or maybe they're not using as much substances. But there's also that personal recovery as well that I think also kind of gets lost in the mix where, you know, for whatever reason, the person might be using substances. What have been, what have they worked on, whether that be like in therapy or um, whether that be in groups, um, what, did, what have they worked on towards their own personal recovery? And a lot of times that, that question doesn't really get, at, get asked, you know? So that's also something to consider. But um, harm reduction debate that I was talking about in regards to, in general, we have Suboxone that we'll use um, for opioid use. The big debate that's going on is that we're having issues where, even particularly during the COVID-19 pandemic, patients are getting um, discharged for treatment, and then they, they worry that, okay, well, am I still going to be able to get Suboxone in the outpatient environment, or am I still going to be able to get whatever treatment that I was getting in the inpatient unit? Because sometimes they might use like a controlled substance, like Ativan or Clonopin or something like that, that they were using inpatient, but then when they get in the outpatient environment, is that still going to be available, right? So um, the big debate is, you know, a lot of times provided, well, we don't want them to get addicted on um, a med another medication when they get out. So it becomes, well, we don't want them using, you know, what's, what's the alternative? Like if, if this is working for them, how can we help to make, maintain that when they are in the outpatient environment as well, or when they get home, how can we maintain that? What success have you seen um, among your patients? If you do take me off of this medication, what, what other um, options or alternatives are available and what success have you seen um, with those patients? It's time to breathe easier this allergy season with Breathe Right Nasal Strips. With instant nasal congestion relief for up to 12 hours, you can spend your time on your terms, not on your noses. Stuffy nose from outdoor allergens? No problem. We got you. Allergy season just turned into stripping season. Instant relief from nasal congestion anytime, anywhere. Need more convincing? Click the banner below and get a free sample. 
Breathe right. Get your strip on. Use as directed. So uh, I know that I talked about, I think, vaping as well last time. And I think I had a question um, in regards to, you know, should patients be vaping? And I, my answer to that was, again, that's that harm reduction debate um, because there's so much... Um, things that we do not know about um, vaping um, as it stands. I know a few years ago um, that the um, FDA put out a warning in regards to vaping because they were, there was like, there were own mystery illness, respiratory illness that was associated with vaping. Um, and really as it stands right now, it really is not recommended. It's not even FDA approved as a quit, um, um, something that you can use to help quit cigarettes or something that you can use to help quit smoking. It's not officially FDA approved for that. And there's still a lot of debate on whether or not um, it's really any best benef more beneficial than if you were to just smoke cigarettes because of the additional components that are made up in the electronic cigarettes, um, whether that be the flavorings. I know I talked about, you know, the different flavorings can be more harmful, like cinnamon can be more harmful to the lungs. There are research studies that say that. And then also just the process of the, the heating of the vapors, how that can be dangerous to the lungs as well. And the fact that it still does have nicotine in it. So um, there's always this harm reduction debate, but I would always refer back to um, your treatment team, and they should have a good like, idea of what has worked for you in the past, what has not worked for you, and trying to get to an overall goal. Because if you don't have an overall goal, it's just kind of like wait, like wavering. You don't know, okay, well, we're doing this, we're doing that. What is where? What are we trying to get to? What is our ultimate goal here? So um, I think I might have covered everything else in regards to that, but I wanted to give more time for questions because I feel like last time um, we didn't have enough time for questions. Great. Thank you for all of that and the overview. Have you had experience with wilderness programs and what are the, what would you say are the pros and cons of wilderness programs? Well, um, aside from usually the patients that I've had that participated in wilderness programs, they weren't really um, close by um, where they lived. So they usually took them out of, again, this is just from my experiences, the patients that what they have reported to be. So for example, one patient, they did um, a wilderness program like in California. So it was really, really far from where, you know, Florida Um and they liked it to an extent because they got to get away from everything. But then at the same time, the family didn't know if it was really that helpful because they weren't sure like once they get back, like what the, the whole plan is. Um, I think that it's a, on a case by case basis um, because I would say, you know, from my, and, and, and this is a very small um, case report, um, the patients that I've had that have done um, wilderness programs um, weren't very successful when they got back. And I don't know if it's because maybe there wasn't um, something in place or maybe it was just the safe haven of being away. I don't know. But once they got back, um, I, I've had a few families complain that, you know, they didn't see like any long term success. Maybe it lasted for maybe like a month and then it went back to the same old same. So it, I, 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 my thing is, I guess it would just depend on program by program and also what 
the person is going into the program for. So I know of one patient that did a wilderness program that was Christian-based, and um, it completely turned that patient's whole entire life around. So I I don't want to like put them all in the same basket because I know that there are, I'm sure there's patients that will, you know, attest to it. And like I said, for that particular patient felt like it was a a game changer for them, but it, it, it really is like on a case by case basis and, and where, you know, what you're going in there for and how far it is from your current place and um, just setting up those guidelines in place for um, treatment once the patient gets out. And honestly, it's not just specific to wilderness programs too. I feel like any program where someone is gone for an extended period of time is going to be helpful to have an idea of what the plan is um, once they get back, Um, because it can provide like a safe haven while they are there per se, and then they get back and it's not, they don't, you know, it's not sustainable. So, right. Right. Yes, absolutely. So a bunch of questions in the chat. So one person is asking what rights or limitations uh, to engage in development of treatment goals and plans do parents have when the child, when the child in the treatment facility is over 18? Very good question. And it's a common question that I get asked all the time. It's very challenging because a lot of times once the child is over 18, they'll say, okay, well, I don't want my family member involved. I don't want my parents involved. And how I have helped parents to navigate that is they still have to reach out to you. The treatment team at some point still has to reach out to you because they have to figure out, well, where is this 18-year-old or 19-year-old going to go once they're done with this treatment? And so I always say, parents, take that as an advantage for you to use it as an empowerment, because if they plan to come back to your home, or if you are one of them, the parents that are helping to fund it, or, you know, you have the the advantage in that regard, Um, you can definitely set rules in place that, hey, you're not coming back to my home, (laughs) or no, I want to be a part of the treatment. I need to know what's going on. So that way I can help you best. So I know that sometimes it's very challenging. Once the child turns 18, they're like, well, I can make the decisions on my own and I don't want you involved and I don't want to tell you this. Yeah, sure, we can play that game for a little bit. But at the end of the day, if you as a parent are the one that is helping them, whether it's financially or helping them in terms of housing or helping them just in general, which nine times out of 10 you are, you can say that part of my Part of being a part of this whole process is I need to be involved with the treatment. And I highly encourage parents to do that. They can be a part of the the, the case management discussions. They can be a part of the therapy discussions, getting involved. Because I think sometimes I think as parents, you may take a hands-off approach that I'm not, I don't need to be involved in this. It's really, we're just doing treatment for the, the, my child. I don't need to be involved. I, I have nothing to do with this, them and their mental illness or them and their substance use. I have nothing to do with that. When research has shown that realistically, it, it's a holistic process. You're probably learning, well, how do I deal with this my son or my daughter, once they come out of treatment, I don't know, I'm afraid I'm stepping, I feel like I'm stepping on pins and needles. So I I don't know how to approach them um, in regards to when they come out. I'm scared to tell them that this is what it is because I don't want to ruin that relationship. 
So sometimes you can even just say, well, I want to be a part of those meetings that you have with your case manager, the meetings that you have with your therapist, the meetings that you have with your life skills coach, because I want to see how I can best help you. It's not a matter of I'm telling you that you have to do this, that, and the other. I just need to understand so that I can be a part of the solution and I don't want to make it any more difficult for you. So it is very difficult. You definitely can't go in there making demands because they're an adult, right? They can make the decision, but you can if you are the one paying and if you are the one that they're going to be going back to their to your home, you can say that as part of that stipulation, I need to be part of those conversations. That's great and perfect. I think uh, so many of us are going through that with one that's over, you know, potentially over 18. So thank you for that. Um, another person is commenting that uh, insurance plays a big role in the type of care and placement, Absolutely. especially residential programs. Absolutely. And are you asking, is that a question or are you just saying it's as a statement? It looks like or? it's a comment. It looks yes. like it's a comment. But from the same person, she goes on to say, when will regulations be changing regarding telehealth visits? Mm -hmm especially across state lines. I agree. Why is well, out of state such a big issue? Yeah, well here, um, I know in Florida, they've already ended it. So, and that was just because of the national emergency due to the pandemic, um, it allowed us to go across state lines. And really it's just a matter of the person that's providing the treatment has to be licensed in whatever state that you are getting whatever medications or whatever therapy. So that's just the rule that, because, Unfortunately, there's so many different rules for different states. Um, you, the person just has to be licensed where you are. So I'm licensed in Florida, Arizona, Iowa, Pennsylvania. So if I am going to be providing any type of services, you have to live in that state. Unfortunately, that's just the policy that they have. During the pandemic, though, they waived that. You didn't have to be licensed in that particular state to provide treatment. Um, because it was considered a national emergency. So you could provide treatment across state lines. The issue then now becomes once they lifted it, like say here in Florida, now you can no longer legally provide services. So what do you do? Hopefully those clinicians are referring you to providers um, in that those particular areas, because I do know that a lot of practices have now um, maybe they didn't have telemedicine practices before, they now have it um, available now. And I always want to say this, don't be afraid to ask. I know it can be like, I'm kind of embarrassed to ask. Don't be afraid to ask, well, what type of sliding scale programs do you have? Sliding scale fee programs do you have? Any scholarships that you guys have? Any payment plans that you guys may offer? What other places may you know of that may offer care as well? Um, because my insurance, I may not even have insurance. And I always say, you'd be surprised, whether you have insurance or not, you'd be surprised at how much services are available, either in little or no cost for individuals that attend community mental health centers. And I know community mental health centers, depending on where you live, can get a really bad rep because they're usually, when I was talking about the whole deinstitutionalization de um, of our history within the United States and stuff, when they were deinstitutionalizing people from the hospitals and they're putting them into, they started these community mental health programs, they started these partial hospitalization programs and the IOPs and stuff. They put them in these areas that were like kind of segregated from the, the, the general population. So sometimes it's really interesting, again, because I also do GIS work. So that's geographic information systems work. You can look at a map and see, well, look where this community mental health center is placed 
oh, we're, look where this place, this one is placed. It's almost like they're in these little silos outside of where the common city usually would be. Um, and so even many, 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 many years later, it's still the same. You still see those community mental health centers, like in these, maybe sometimes they might be in a bad part of town, or um, sometimes they might be in just places that you probably wouldn't even consider venturing. And we know that that affects care. Nobody wants to, what, regardless, no one wants to go to, I don't want to go to a community mental health center and feel like I don't want people to see me. I don't want to, you know, like whatever the case may be. But surprisingly, a lot of the community mental health centers will offer, like I said, a case manager, life skills coach, treatment in general, um, either at little to no cost. And it's your tax dollars that are helping to pay it in addition to grant funding. So it might be something to consider if you haven't already considered it um, as well. And asking those facilities, hey, where have you seen the most treatment? And a lot of times, those um, clinicians at those facilities, they know, they'll give you the lowdown. They'll tell you, oh yeah, we've seen real good success at this particular place and you can get this covered here. Or they'll tell you, I wouldn't suggest this place or I've had a lot of, you know, but it, you have to ask. And when you're asking, you're asking in a, a humble, gentle manner, because I know it can be trying to get substance abuse, substance use disorders treatment and mental illness treatment for your loved ones or yourself can be very frustrating. It can be irritating. It can get you angry because it's like, why is our system so broken? And it can make you feel helpless, hopeless. But I must say that from my experiences of working within this, this is, this is the bread and butter. I love working with community mental health clients. At the end of the day, there is hope. They do get better. They do get treatment. It's just a matter of having the patience to kind of go through the, the tape for now. You know, uh, we have advocates, we have people that volunteer that are trying. I would hope that with the COVID-19 pandemic that there's more um, providers that are speaking out that, oh, there are benefits to telemedicine. Um, I just wrote an article um, about um, inadequate access to internet um, for um, people of color and how that can affect our treatment, especially for our children. Um, over time, if you don't have internet access, how can you possibly continue having um, telemedicine, you know, opportunities or to get your child treatment? So um, I was just, I made a few proposals that included like in India, they actually have like a mobile bus where this mobile bus goes around to different communities and patients just get on the bus and they can get access to um, seeing a clinician and the, the clinician they could see on a computer, the clinician doesn't even have to be on that bus, they could be somewhere else, but that bus also had a pharmacy on there. So the patients can go through the bus, mm -hmm. um, get there, be seen and have a pharmacy. And there are some places that are trying to adopt some type of a model. They might be in a pilot phase, mm -hmm. but I do know that there's a small number of us, but we're mighty <laughs> and we're trying to advocate. And, and I encourage you, if you are on the other end of it, if you're one of the parents that, hey, my child, you know, had success with this, you know, share that knowledge with other parents that are still mm -hmm. trying to figure it out, you know, um, because we're all, we're all in this together trying to figure it out, you know, but there's yeah. hope. There's definitely hope. I love, it. I love the hope comment. Um, there's a person that had their hand up to ask a question. I had a question um, just about how do you approach your child with this conversation? If this is just a total new direction for you? Well, I always approach any situation when 
nobody wants to feel like, oh, you think there's something wrong with me? Like, no one wants to feel like that. You know, whether you have mental illness, not mental illness, whether you have substance disorder, nobody wants to feel like, oh, you think that there's something wrong with me. I always approach it even with my patients. Sometimes the families are able to at least just get them into the door, at least to get to see me. Because a lot of times I'll ask, okay, well, what brings you here? They're like, I don't know. My mom made me come, or I don't know. I don't know why I'm here, you know? And then by the end of the session, they're spilling it all out. <laughs> but how I usually approach it is I, I, I ask, you know, like, what, is it, what are some things that they're having difficulty with? Whether that be something as simple, I'm not sleeping at night. Usually that's a big one. A lot of temptations are not sleeping at night. A lot of times they might be, um, you know, I notice you're, you know, you're crying all the time. Is there something that's, you know, bothering you? And that's not always easy to ask because if as a, you know, there's always that family um, dynamic too, that maybe the child doesn't feel like they feel like they can talk to you about it. So that makes it even more difficult to kind of ask those questions. So that's why we try to get them like, Hey, can you at least let's just talk to somebody outside of our family. I'm willing to go with you. You know, um, that's, that's an approach to maybe I, maybe I'm like part of the problem. Maybe I'll go with you to see if I can get more knowledge and understand like where you're coming from, because I'm not really sure I noticed there's a change and I'm not really sure how to help you, but it might be helpful if we went and talked to this person or, um, you know, if they're having issues with sleep, that's a good one. Or if they're having issues with maintaining a job or if they're having issues focusing, a lot of times that's a good way to, hey, let's go talk to someone. Maybe they can help you um, with, you know, the concentration. Maybe they can give us something that'll be helpful. Always just kind of getting like a foot in the door. And sometimes it's helpful if you can actually talk with that clinician beforehand um, and giving them a heads up that, hey, I have someone that's a little hesitant about coming in. This is the issues that I think are going on, but maybe you can just do an assessment and let us know what you suggest. And, um, and that's where it, it matters, like doing the research on who, whatever clinician that you are going to go see, making sure that they are really going to be, try to be a part of that um, treatment plan. Cause you don't want someone that's just going to be like, okay, see them for 10 minutes and okay, we're done. You know, that you want someone that's going to be willing to be involved and really be with you through that long haul. Um, it, Cause you know, sometimes it works sometimes it, you know, it's an up and down thing until they're you know, finally kind of like on that right path. So I would say to start the conversation, it's something as simple as, hey, I noticed you've been having trouble sleeping. Let's just talk to someone. Maybe they can help with sleep. Or, hey, I have a friend that goes to this person and they said it that really helps, you know, with this. Maybe this will be, you know, trying to find something about it that doesn't seem like so, so scary or like to show that, oh, maybe there's something that you think is wrong with me, um, but more so from that approach of, you know, I, I'm trying to help you and I'm not really sure how best to help you and maybe it'll be helpful talking to them. Also, I mentioned also earlier in my talk about peer support. Um, those are very helpful. You can find um, peer support specialists that might be willing, they might be willing to talk to that peer support and that peer support may have been exactly where that loved one has been before, and they may know what to say to get that started. So, you know, uh, um, uh, um, eliciting help from people that have worked with individuals that have had these um, experiences before and what worked, hopefully that that was helpful. <laughs> That's super helpful. I think, um, you know, the challenge is just when do we decide 
when and how it's best. Mm -hmm. And everything that you're sharing is um, really helpful and valuable. Well, I would say, yeah, I would say, well, if if we're going just straight forward from all the the stuff that I've said, if you're wondering, well, when is a good time? Definitely when is going to be a matter of a life and death thing. If it's a matter of, well, my, my child, I think they're not going to make it through the night. I'm so worried about them. Then the time is now, you know, if you're worried and you're like, ah, I see it kind of drifting, then you may have a little bit more time per se to kind of hoax them, talk them into it. But if it's a matter of life and death, you definitely want to take those steps now. You don't want it to be then the next day, oh my gosh, you know, I, I wish I had done something sooner. So that's definitely the, the um, when. The how is more so, okay, now here I have all the knowledge of the different programs that are available. I'm really not sure where to start. I would suggest you can always start with a community mental health center. And when you do ask those questions, say, hey, I'm new to all of this. I'm not sure where to go. Or maybe you're not even new to all this. You're, hey, I've tried everything. I'm just exhausted. I don't know what else is going to work. I just want to know, you know, maybe can I get an opportunity to talk with a care counselor um, to see, you know, what um, they may suggest, a case manager, what they might suggest to just take the time to speak with me. I would really appreciate it, you know? Absolutely. And I want to just say something that uh, one of our callers put in the chat. She says, spoiler alert, we are always a part of the problem in some way. Be prepared to have to address your own emotional issues. And that is just 100% true, I believe. We've heard that from just about everybody that has been one of our experts every week. And I see Dr. Smith East is nodding as well. Agree. I mean, our foundation um, has to be strong and solid in order for everything else above that foundation to be strong and solid. So when we're not right, you know, uh, it affects everybody else. So I want to say thank you to that person who just commented, appreciate it. Um, And just, you know, as we get ready to close this week, Dr. Smith East, thank you for all of your information and knowledge and sharing again, and for everybody that spoke up and shared or asked a question, appreciate you um, for that because we learned from everybody. Uh, Really appreciate your time. And again, just thank you so much for being here, Dr. Smith East. Thank you for giving us your wonderful time. Did you want to say one more thing? Yeah, this has like been weighing on my heart ever since even last night. And I just wanted to share this. Um, It's a scripture passage actually. And it comes from Lamentations chapter three, verses 22 to 23. And it says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So if you're on the call and you're like, I'm just so, so, so Mm. tired, you know, Um, Mm. his mercies Mm. are new every morning. Absolutely. Oh, I love that passage. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Really appreciate that, that hit home. So thank you. Um, Now Kelly Chapman will close us out in an additional prayer. Thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. Today, Lord, we are grateful for Dr. Marie Smith East. We thank you, God, that she elected not to hide her gifts, talents, and expertise under a rock. Her insights and experiences are invaluable to our parents and caregiver community. We ask that you bless her coming and her going, and that she will prosper and be in good health even as her soul prospers. 
Lord, today we ask for your guidance and your wisdom. Your word says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. We would do anything we can for our children and we want to be thoughtful and wise as we discern what is going on with them and how best to move forward. So God, give us the ability to not look to the left or to the right because what one family elects to do or what successes or challenges one family had may not be applicable to our circumstances. Our story is our story and God, we yield to you to direct our paths. God, as we consider treatment options for our children, we ask that you surround us with a team of professionals who perform their work skillfully. We ask that you guide us towards those who have strong expertise, a history of success, a sensitivity to African-American concerns, and most importantly, a passion for their occupation and the clients that they serve. Let them operate with integrity and diligence. Let them have a vision for the whole person and all of the considerations that could come into play. And God, for those of us whose children are already in and out of treatment, we continue to trust you, knowing that all things are possible with you. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. In your son's name, amen. Amen, Kelly. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Beautiful as always. There is hope as Dr. Smith East opened up with today and really appreciate all of y'all being here. Have a good day. Thank you so much. I'm Kelly Richardson Lawson and you've been listening to the Sunrise Project podcast. You can follow Sunrise wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, open your podcast app and follow this show. Join us next week for another gathering of support. Thank you for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental wellness challenges, contact your doctor, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or both. You can reach NAMI's helpline at 800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or email at info at nami.org. Volunteers are working to answer questions, offer support, and provide practical next steps. It's time to breathe easier this allergy season with Breathe Right Nasal Strips. With instant nasal congestion relief for up to 12 hours, you can spend your time on your terms, not on your noses. Stuffy nose from outdoor allergens? No problem. We got you. Allergy season just turned into stripping season. Instant relief from nasal congestion anytime, anywhere. Need more convincing? Click the banner below and get a free sample. Breathe right. Get your strip on. Use as directed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.